Breaking news here for you on a Friday because you know, well, I recorded this week's episode a bit early and it just feels like, well, a lot, a lot has happened. A lot has happened. I mean, a lot has happened for me personally. I've been, I've been traveling, man. I went from Newcastle on Friday night. I had to drive down to my house in Cambridgeshire. Then I had to get the train down to Bognor. I was there in Butlins a couple of days. Then I had to get free trains to Falmouth. And you're bored yet? No, no one wants to hear about your travel bullshit, Jeff. No one cares. But I will say this, it's taken its toll, right? And at 46, and anybody in middle age and beyond will be identifying with this, is I've just hit a point this autumn where my face doesn't wake up with me. I wake up, I look at my face and go, oh, right, what I probably need to do is set an alarm slightly earlier for my face, right? You know you could do it on your phone. You just set my face alarm half an hour. Just give it a chance. It's just shocking. It's truly fucking shocking. But, you know, I'm loving it. I'm loving the tour shows, man. Those shows up in the north last week were fucking epic. So thank you to everyone that came out for them. I'm going to be talking about the COVID inquiry in this breaking news because for something that was the single most disruptive event since the war, no one seems to give a shit about this inquiry, right, which is now halfway through. And it does feel like we've only got bandwidth for like one main story, doesn't it? There's, like, there's got to be one big thing happening. For it's Partygate for a long time, then it was Ukraine, there's Partygate again, and it was cost of living Ukraine, Partygate again, bit more Partygate, Russell Brand Middle East, right? Where you're not, it seems, equipped to sort of be across several stories. And I just think it's weird, you know, if you think about the fact that there's a podcast for pretty much everything that's happening at the moment, you know, I mean, the BBC, they had like a Brexit cast, Ukraine cast, they've now got a Middle East shitstorm cast. I think BBC Radio do have a sort of seven minute summation of the COVID inquiry, but looking at it, it's not exactly tearing up trees in terms of numbers. So maybe I'm barking up the wrong tree here. But what I sort of thought was, if I kind of go and do like a day's research on it, I can tell you what's going on in a semi-humorous way so I can sort of listen to the boring bits so you don't have to. Just going to mention, we've got more new patrons coming in. Welcome to the What Most People Think community. Everything's got to have a community these days. We've got two new VIPs. We've got Rob, who's a single namer. So what would that mean? If Rob is a single namer, he probably works at some sort of left-wing institution where he can't be publicly named. So let's say the Met Police. <laughs> more of which later. And we've got Brian McRae. What a fucking heroic name that is. Brian McRae. Stepped up for Scotland and nutted it home past the Chilean keeper. Thank you so much and welcome to the Patreon community. As I say, you of course get it ad-free, get it early and you get it with extra content. But you also on the, through the Patreon page, you can look at my last special, I Blame the Parents, which is the full 80-minute job on YouTube. You're only getting 35 minutes. So there's all sorts of stuff. So do have a look around the page. We've also had people leaving reviews for my book, The British Bloke Decoded on Amazon. So let's whip through a few of those now. Okay, we got Jason, we got Will, we got Laura Smart, Craig Kennedy. Fuck you, Craig. <laughs> I just read what Craig said. We got Paul Burke, Emma J, Barry Kerr, R. Booty Jig. Booty Jig? Is that some sort of dance move? Someone called Gigi saying, Love you, Jeff. Thank you. TCL Haynes, who just sounds like a diarist from the Victorian era. What did you know? Fucking Samuel Peeps, did you? Mr. J. Moore, Neil from Nottingham, good alliteration. P. Kennett, Mr. Addison, Jason Mann, KJ Greenhall. Fucking hell, was it? it sounds like there's a lot of novelists who bought the book. Uh, Stoy77, John, another John. 
Okay, well, those are the new ones so far. So if you leave me a five-star review on Amazon, I will read it out. Let's get to the main talking point. So David Domain, this is referring back to the show with Jonathan Pye. And we were talking about, you know, the surprisingly small number of British Jews. A lot of people overestimate the size of the population. And the latest census reports that the number of people identifying as Jewish in England and Wales is 271,327, which is less than half a percent of the population of England and Wales. And it has been declining a bit since 2001. Just over half of that Jewish demographic lives in London. So it's interesting. It's interesting context, isn't it? When you talk about like... You know, you've seen this awful thing recently whereby there have been posters of kidnapped children and people have been defacing them and awful stuff like that. Listen, man, I think it's completely legitimate to worry about the scale of what's going to happen in Gaza and the effect on the predominantly child age population of that place. But I think if you're at the point where you're defacing pictures of children who are held hostage, I can't fucking imagine what that must be like then. I don't, maybe you're not the good guy. What most people think. Just do a quick thank you and a fuck you. The thank you is to everyone that's been explaining to me that jihad means struggle. There was me thinking all along that it might mean, you know, something that I should be worried about. But look, it turns out we've been getting it wrong all along. So thank you to the Met Police for that. And, you know, now we all know that when a bloke is on the street praising jihad, it's fine. Don't jump to conclusions. He might just be talking about difficulties in his life. The fuck you is people doing the list thing. You know, when people talk, there's this modern way of talking. It's just so, 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 you know, this week uh, I did a gig in Newcastle. I did a gig in Stockton. Can't explain what that tone is, but it does my fucking head in, right? But you at least think if people are delivering what could formally be seen as a list, i.e. upwards of three things, it's a way of elongating your tone to imply that you've got to get through a list because it's so hard to talk, in it? So fucking oppressive to talk. Oh, Okay, today, I mean, people just want to make their lives sound busy, don't they? Oh, today I've got to get up, I've got to walk the dog, I've got to have breakfast, I've got to log in. This to me is all a hangover of furlough. There's a lot of people whose brains were fucked by furlough and they think the smallest responsibilities equate to them being able to use the list tone. Well, it doesn't, right? But now there's this thing that started happening where people, it's such a sort of seductive way of speaking that people use that tone when they're only saying one thing. I can't remember who it was. I heard it on the radio. Someone said, uh, yeah, so, you know, I'm doing a series with Marvel. I'm like, yeah, uh, anything else? Oh, right, so you're just doing the one thing at the moment, but I don't understand it. Anyway, just ranting now. Look, got to get on because I've got to talk about COVID. Okay, so this COVID inquiry, right, started in July. The chairman is Dame Hazlitt. Yeah, I'm going to stick with chairman. (laughs) Uh, It's in three parts, three modules. First up, how ready were we for a pandemic like this? How did we respond? What could we learn for the future? I mean, first up, most people could ask that, answer that straight away. Not very prepared. Seemed like we did badly at first, but better as it went on. And then what can we learn for the future? Well, maybe don't do things just because the media or Nicola Sturgeon are calling for them. Full disclosure, my position was that at the time I was sort of sympathetic to government because it was an absolute shitstorm. It was, you know, unprecedented. And then the government were, I think there was a tone to the criticism because it was still as Brexit was being negotiated, right? So it felt like there was a degree of the media coverage, which was either consciously or unconsciously, 
but a stick to beat them with. They were angry that these things were happening. They were angry that this guy was in power. So so at the time, I was sort of not, not sticking up for the government, but I felt that there was a sort of rush to judgment. Like, for example, the PPE shortages were happening in pretty much most sort of developed economies. But you would have honestly thought this was the only country where it was an issue. And there was also this thing where even though all the virologists and scientists were saying that you can't really ascertain how Britain has performed in this until probably a two-year period. People were just trying to write end-of-term reports, go, well, Britain has failed. Plague Island. Remember that? Plague Island. They loved it because it sort of played into this view that Britain had left the EU and we were just this piece of shit on the western tip of Europe that was just going to slowly descend into the lurgy. But it sort of didn't end up exactly like that. Britain ended up sort of more mid-table. But let's talk about how this inquiry have done. So I've just tried to pull out some of the the headline things. And some of these will be because they're genuinely valid and some just because I thought they were funny. All right, module one, preparedness. Now, the truth was that everyone thought our preparation was bang on, right? Because we did this kind of like mock pandemic response thing and everyone thought that Britain was doing good nick, done great pre-season training. Even the WHO were giving props to Britain saying these guys are bang on. And when did the World Health Organization get anything wrong? Come on. But the problem was it was based on flu and it wasn't based on any consideration of what might happen if it was a SARS-type virus. Because, yeah, they'd never happened anywhere else in the world, apart from, you know, Southeast Asia, a lot. There were no prior considerations in any of the planning. Right, get this, this to me is massive. No prior consideration of lockdowns or shielding, right? None. In all of that planning, in all of the war gaming of what would happen... They hadn't thought about how that would work and what impact that would have on people. So we did something that has never been done in peacetime before and we hadn't planned for it. It's quite incredible, really, right? That we just right, stay in your houses and just wait for it to blow over. <laughs> but they called it flatten the curve. But there was a degree of wait for it to blow over. Well, we think it's something, just fucking stay inside. And um, you can only walk with a dog once a day. But it's the open air. I can stay miles away from people. Why wouldn't I be able to do a second walk? It's good for my health and my mental health. And why? Well, just because we, well, we've decided and we've done the slogan now. Stay indoors, you cunt. Or something. George Osborne was then questioned and austerity was brought up, right? In the context of did austerity and a reduction in funding in real terms to the NHS mean that Britain was in a worse position of preparedness? Now, that I think is a valid question. But it was also a sort of indirect way of attacking austerity. And I do think like, like it's obviously an incredibly valid conversation to have, but people sort of forget the context of the Eurozone crisis. They sort of forget that Britain was hit worse by the financial crisis, right? Because we had incredibly high government spending, right? Like all these things, we seem to be hit worse in the first phase of it. So at the time the coalition came to power, our government borrowing costs were going up and we've all seen since the Liz Trust mini budget, autumn statement, or whatever, the full fuck bomb, is that apparently these are things we need to look at. You know, what is causing a rise in the cost of government borrowing? And then we had the Eurozone crisis, you know, what was happening with Greece, Portugal, and almost Ireland. So there was a context to this, but no one cares. No one cares. Years on, no one cares. Even though a lot of people thought that was the right thing at the time. And George Osborne claimed that that gave us fiscal headroom to respond to COVID and roll out some of the expensive stuff that we did do. Right. And Chris Whitty was on. He was asked to slow down because he was just, I don't know if he was just like him seeing it. <laughs> Probably nervous. I think he might have reason to be. I mean, one of the things was uh, he did talk about the abuse aimed at scientists. And it was weird. It was weird that they became celebrities. I wouldn't imagine that any of them bargained for that on any level. I wouldn't imagine that any of them bargained to be 
to get called mass murderers and do their first selfie in the same year. That was not on <laughs> on Chris Whitty. With Venice to Chris, he got like he got the fame as well. It wasn't just a one way street, was it? He had a lot of fans online. And uh, next slide, please. He was like the Brucey of COVID, wasn't he? he? Had more catchphrases than Bruce Forsyth. And he had what was it, guy Jonathan Van Tam? He had a lot of a lot of lady love out there. Matt Hancock was on. He loved being there. I mean, like Matt Hancock just likes being looked at, doesn't he? You, you see him and you see a man. Well, there's a man that likes to be looked at. And he got told off for monologuing. Surprise, surprise. It was like he's in the Bush Tucker fucking telephone, wasn't he? Talking about some spat with Boy George. I think your impression of Matt Hancock is exactly what he is. I don't think anyone is wrong about Matt Hancock. I don't deny that he might have been diligent, you know, and he might have deep down been... But it just feels like all of it is just how can it serve Matt Hancock? And it always was quite distasteful to me to see just how much he seemed to enjoy, A, being Matt Hancock, and B, you know, the power that COVID had temporarily given him. And then uh, Nicola Sturgeon stepped up to the plate, right? Big high profile, big Nicola. She managed to make it about Brexit. <laughs> she managed to make it about her usual stuff. You know, fair play to her. She's like a comic just trying to get on their home ground. You know, like when you watch a show like Mock the Week and it sort of says, oh, today there was an argument at the EU and they'll just go, oh, you know, the thing about the EU, it's like me and my kids. You go, oh, brilliant. You got it back onto your home ground. And she spoke about Brexit to the extent that she was told that it was a witness box and not a soapbox. I was like, oh, that was a bit of a slapdown, wasn't it? She's one of those people who just, you know, like that seven degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon. I reckon she could just go, anything could become like about Brexit and the Tories, the Tories. Yes, but Nicola, you know, uh, what about the care home crisis in Scotland? Tories. What? It's the Tories. But you were the first minister and you had more power than first ministers have ever had. Brexit. And into that also, Mark Drakeford was kind of questioned. Hearing that guy's voice, you know, when he talks, I just think of, like, the worst teacher in a school. Do you think he's going to keep your back for walking at more than two miles an hour in the corridor, boy? What you doing? And there was this idea emerged that the devolved powers sort of accused Westminster of hogging the power and not including the devolved assemblies in the conversation. But when you drill down into it, some of it was just about them not being able to log on to, like, Zoom meetings because of shit Wi-Fi, right? So some of this information is being... Well, there is a lot of it that it seems is being pushed through an agenda, whether you didn't like austerity, whether you didn't like Brexit, whether you don't like Westminster. You know, it's just all political. They had the editor of The Lancet in. I think it was him that he said, you know, when he talks about the planning for COVID against the reality, he said everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, which sort of like, if you didn't know that was a Mike Tyson reference, wouldn't be surprised if Dame Hazlitt was going, sorry, you, you want to step outside, son? Hey? <laughs> No, 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 no. I, I, I was quoting uh, Mike Tyson, the boxer. I bet there was humour in the room there, wasn't it? You can really like break the tension with posh people very easily. You see this at tennis, don't you? You go, no, no, it's the, it was actually the popular, well-renowned boxer. Mike Tyson once said that. Yeah, isn't he the guy that once raped someone? Yeah, I probably should have picked a different boxer. I mean, I would like to see more boxing analogies, mainly from the Rocky franchise. I see three of them out there. Hit the one in the middle. That should have been their approach to lockdowns. What kind of lockdowns could we have? Mild, moderate or strict? Let's go strict. Maybe hit the one in the middle. And then towards the end of the first module, 
Dame Arlene Foster was there. She said that not enough thought had been given in planning to the psychological and emotional impact of lockdowns. And it it was kind of interesting that this was quite deep into this thing. And this is the first time it's come up, right? It does feel like at the political class and the technocrats, they just don't feel like they care that much. Most of them. I don't know what it is instinctively. The idea of just locking people up, it didn't seem to bother them. It didn't bother them at the time. And for a lot of them, it still doesn't seem to bother them. I mean, bear in mind, people couldn't sing at funerals, right? Is that not a point to go, was this too strict? Yeah, yeah, a bit too strict. And Michael Gove, just to end on a more lighthearted note on module one, Michael Gove, he's an impressive person, Govey, isn't he? He can fucking talk, man. He can talk. He sort of rejected the idea that no deal planning had kind of stolen bandwidth from pandemic planning. And he actually said, I actually think that we were more match fit to respond to stuff. And you're going, that sort of makes sense. I'm not sure it's true, but it doesn't make sense. But there was a funny moment whereby during his questioning, you could hear a video of him talking. So I can only conclude from that that Michael Gove is well aware how good he is at talking. So in a moment's pause in the courtroom, had been watching a little viral clip of himself and enjoying it. Good for you, Govey. You're good at it. Okay, just going to do a very quick hype here. Uh, more new patrons. Liam Lapping. Liam Lapping. That just sounds like one of those Hamlet-style small places in the Cotswolds. Yeah, we've stayed in Liam Lapping. Alex Bilby. Alex Bilby. Bilby. You're going to probably say, no, it's pronounced Alex uh, Bilby. Jess Ingleson. That's a cool name. Jess Ingleson. That just sounds like one of those really popular girls at school. Do you know Jess Ingleson? Do you know Jess Ingleson? She's really pretty. She's pretty pretty. Jess Ingleson's so pretty. She's really pretty. Alex Mungavan. Mungo van. That just sounds like a service, doesn't it? Sounds like something probably an advert that you might hear on this podcast now. Do you need to move something to another part of the country? But not so much you need a large van, but not enough to fit in your car. Mungo van. Just hype a couple of tour shows quickly in the autumn. Aberdeen and Manchester. Still tickets available for those. The link for Manchester was apparently you had to download an app and there was all sorts of nonsense. So we've changed that. So if you go back to the Live Nation thing, you should be able to buy those tickets more easily. And just a reminder that there are shows coming up in the spring. New shows in Stroud, Grimsby, Derby. I'm going to be going to Crew for the first ever time. And we've moved the Dublin date for a variety of reasons, shall we say, to the Sugar Club in Dublin. That's now happening in April. Apologies. Apologies for anybody if you can't make the new date. There were a variety of reasons outside of my control. I hope to see you there. And if you couldn't make the old date, but you can make the new date, then come along and I'll see you under Dublin. Promise to do the accent for sure. Okay, so this bit will be shorter because it's only halfway through the second module, but it is sort of halfway through the overall inquiry. Now, the second module is how did we react, okay? So this is where we get into the realms of WhatsApps, people actually reacting to the pandemic. And Dominic Cummings comes up a lot here. And the thing you've got to know about Dominic Cummings is he is just better than everybody else. That's one of the key sort of Cummings takeaways is he just knows everything. He knows what to do and no one, nobody else does, all right? I think he described the ministers as terrifyingly shit. I mean, it's a funny enough phrase that you sort of think maybe, maybe they were. But what does come out is that Boris Johnson... He does like to take, claim credit for got all the big calls right, but there is an emergent theme that he just didn't know what to do and would kind of sort of oscillate quite wildly between sort of several different choices. One thing that does come out is that schools were overlooked. We kind of knew that, right? Shouldn't really have locked them down the first time. Definitely shouldn't have locked them down the second time, in my view. And there was a lot of infighting. Now, I can sort of credit that during a once-in-a-lifetime, remember all that word, once-in-a-lifetime, unprecedented... 
never happened before, global pandemic, the infighting among politicians about how to react. I don't necessarily think that that like, is a criticism as such. I would think that that would be a natural reaction to a crisis, right? I'm not thinking for one second that during the Second World War that Churchill said, well, I think we should, sort of, we should go in through Italy. And everyone went, sweet, yep, you said it, we'll do it. There was this question about did they have eyes on the future, you know, about what would be, again, just this theme of what would be the long-term psychological and economic impacts on lockdowns, on education, rates of domestic violence. Would we have kids that just stop going to school and never go back because they're young and two years out of school could be a big percentage of their life? Yeah, sadly, what you probably thought is what happened. It wasn't discussed that much. So they spoke about delaying the postponement of mass gatherings, but the point was they didn't know when the main pressure on the NHS would come. That comes out through the sort of SAGE meetings. By the way, SAGE, calling yourself, how fucking pleased with themselves were they when they came up with that name? Because obviously SAGE also means like wise elders, right? How long did they spend like reworking the words in that so that they could call themselves SAGE? I bet there was some other like arrangement, and then someone went, hang on, hang about. It's like calling that meeting Cobra. How much taxpayer money was wasted while they just tried, came up with a name that, that gave them a semi? And um, Niall Ferguson, Dr. Niall Ferguson, remember him? There was this argument about whether or not he'd overstepped the mark in reaching out sideways to ministers because he felt that people were dragging their heels and it would cause more illness and more death. So it was interesting, you know, whether or not he broke protocol. But then the issue of his resignation came up. <laughs> it's kind of weird in this uh, investigation because it delves into the world of like WhatsApps and personal life. You get these really like awkward moments. One was Niall Ferguson going, so, um, I mean, it would, <laughs> he didn't say it. Goes, so you, you, um, you were forced to resign because you're a bit of a shagger, is that right? Yeah, yeah, massive shagger. Yeah, couldn't keep it in my pants, just had to get me some of that. It would have been awesome if he'd have said that. But on, on that note, you do get a lot of embarrassing personal details coming out where I think one of the top health officers said about a minister, who is this fuckwit? You had eat out to help out being discussed and somebody inferring that Rishi, the then chancellor, was Dr. Death. What was interesting coming out of that, so obviously then on social media and the usual left-wing Twitter accounts, they're trying to get it to stick. I Oh, Dr. Death, you know, because they just think it would be helpful to the cause of getting the Tories out if Rishi was called Dr. Death. First up, the problem is a lot of the public aren't tuned into this, and I just, in doing that, you're having to go and eat out to help out. And even as you say those words, I am smiling with the memories of just going out with my family going, sorry, £9 for a Costa where we all had fucking paninis and a drink. It's just a good memory in a shit time. That's the problem. And actually, so the bit that people focused on was the Dr. Death name. Literally, they said that they cannot blame what happened in that autumn on Eat Out to Help Out because the statistics weren't there to back it up that those places saw a massive rise or, or the variant coming from that. So even though you'd think that maybe that would be the case, they can't prove that right but they were worried about the optics maybe it felt like you were you were suggesting that things had gone back to normal too quickly but just one point i want to close on is my sympathy in a way for anybody involved who's being called for this inquiry is that just doing your business on whatsapp whatsapp is code for i don't want anyone else to ever fucking read this so the anxiety for people when it was decided that this inquiry would have access to whatsapp my ass would have hit the ground with a thud. It's not like people are bad people, but you just, you, you call colleagues fuckwits, you call people Dr. Death. I mean, I'm amazed that the, the meme of that time, do you remember Big Dick Guy where you would just see this 
huge guy with his massive dick in like in at one point even in a Christmas bauble. It would be amazed if this whole inquiry could go, given it was 2020, 2021, if big dick guy <laughs> does not get some sort of shout out, you know, keep him morale up. He was like, <laughs> he was like the Vera Lynn, wasn't he? He's the Vera Lynn of the lockdown years. So I think that they've got a pause this week. So that was partly why I decided to do it this week. And I'll probably do another one of these again if people are interested. Like I say, maybe the reason that no, a lot of media aren't covering this is because no one gives a fuck. But maybe it's just because they can only deal with one story at a time. But you can be sure that what most people think, I'll be keeping up with the story. Men are, look, basically, I'll be reading summaries written by other people and doing jokes about it. All right, see you next week for the main podcast. Oh.